Hi, it's Jen. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing some of my personal journey, um, what God's done in my life, and how I got involved with them before us and met Katie. And it's really quality content, but I am far away from the mic, something I'm improving over time. So I just wanted to thank you in advance for your patience with the audio, and uh, but hopefully you're still encouraged and enjoy this episode. podcast. I'm Jen. I am Katie. And why are we here today, Katie? It's episode 002. So as we move forward, uh, Jen is going to be the hostess of our podcast, which I'm very excited about because I do a lot of talking. I do a lot of writing. And whenever I hear Jen give an interview, I always think, oh my gosh, that is so true. And she said it in a way that I don't normally say it. And so I'm really a grateful that we now have this platform where people are going to be able to hear your voice and your perspective and all of that. So moving forward, this is your project. You will be the primary voice. You'll be the one that's asking the questions, but we are going to break with that template today Mm -hmm. and I will be asking the questions here. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So we did a little bit of my backstory in a previous episode And today we are going to get Jen's backstory. So let's just begin with, um, how did you get involved in them before us? And then we'll do a little deeper dive into like, what was your upbringing like? Okay, sounds good. So I think I got involved because I messaged you on Facebook and realized you were local. We had some mutual friends and I was familiar with your blog, Ask the Bigot. And because of my personal story with, um, gender feelings of gender dysphoria and same-sex attraction and reading the things that you had written, I knew you would be a really cool person to talk to in more of that mentoring way. So I think, I don't even remember what I messaged you, just, hey, can we meet up? And I don't remember why or what you said or why you were like, sure, a random person. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking with you and your dogs on the beach and I just shared this is how I grew up. These are the things I experienced. And we kind of started a friendship with more of that mentoring, you knowing my backstory. And then we stayed in touch and you contacted me when you were starting the organization because you said, I need some trusted people Mm -hmm. on the board to be official. (laughs) I need three people and you're one of them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So this is, I love hearing you tell this because I'm like, it all the dates kind of blend into one for me. Sure. When do you think that this was that you first missed? Are we talking like 2015, 2016? Like, when do you think do you remember it was when that pro that kind of protest thing was? Oh, that so we was went to downtown. That, we were at the same event. That's right. But you and Stacy were there, but I don't remember meeting you. Well, it must have been around 2014 or 2015. Uh huh. It was a pro-life event. Yes. Uh, okay, that's good. Sometimes that memory comes up in my Facebook. So now yes. I'll really know. Right. I'll really know when it happened. Okay, good. So yeah, and then um, you and I developed a genuine friendship. Sure. Um, yeah. And thank God. Yes. I love it. And it's been so good for me. Um, and then when I started researching what it would take to develop a nonprofit, it's a pretty easy process. Mm-hmm. But you do have to appoint there needs to be a minimum of three people on your board of directors and the board of directors have total control of the nonprofit. And so, which is scary, um, especially when you're like, I know exactly what this needs to do. I know exactly what it needs to be. And whoever gets on this board, like I have to trust with my life. And so 
it was you and Stacy. I'm like, you guys are my ride or die, baby. And Stacy was like, I'll do this, but get me off the board as soon as possible. Yeah, right. And I was so, there for longer. And you but... were there until we could poach you and like employ you, yes. which is really where you belong. So, um, okay, great. So we are going to get into your backstory here. Um, let's kind of begin at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, tell us a little more about your early life. So I was raised in the Seattle area and a Christian household in the sense that I always believed God was real, faith, knowing the Bible, going to Awana was always a part of, of our day-to-day life. Went to church, very thankful for our church family. And we were homeschooled, but my mom worked full time and my dad was primarily home and then he was a truck driver. So kind of a little bit of a reversal there from the norm especially for homeschooling families. And, and then along with that, so I believed God was real and was a Christian from as early as I could remember. But I also remember thinking in this very childlike way that, oh, I think God made me wrong. If there's a switch up there in heaven or wherever, he flipped the girl one on accident and he meant to flip the boy one. Wow. Just like sort of wrong. So even at what age would you say you started to have these sort of feelings of like not, not feeling as connected to your female body is. Well, it's funny because we have like a, a video that my family thinks is really funny where I'm two years old and I'm pitching the biggest fit about having to wear a pink jacket huh. that someone bought me. Yeah. And it is sort of funny and it's maybe a kid being petulant. But when I look at it as an adult, I'm like, was there a feeling there of like, mm-hmm. I can't wear this color because of this feeling? Mm-hmm. I don't think I was like two or three. Hmm. I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't like, conscientious of a thought that right. early. Right, right, right. It's just as soon as I became conscientious of right. it, it just felt sort of So you don't wrong. really ever remember a, a time where you're like, yes, loved being a girl, no. felt no you know, was totally at peace with my body. Okay. No. no. Wow. I would say like post puberty and in my thirties. I've yeah. been like, oh I'm definitely a woman and I feel com- more more confident than ever the older I get. Okay. Yeah. So that's definitely been a long journey and process. And then what's interesting with that is so when you sort of feel like, well, I am sort of a boy on the inside or however a little kid's brain thinks about that, when my attraction developed, like any typical kid, you know, start being attracted to your peers, I was attracted to my female peers. Hmm. And I can pin that down at like seven or eight years old. Wow. Yeah. So, so and not sex, not right. hypersexualized, but right. just my being very drawn to or having a crush. Yeah. That early. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So tell me about your relationship with your mom and with your dad. So my mom, I know a piece of this for me, but again, this is all looking back in hindsight. Cause you've done. Okay. So I'm just going to interrupt this yeah, little yeah. thing and say, We're going to work our way through Jen's story here, but the end of the story is that Jen is, um, I would say, a savant when it comes to theological matters of sex and gender, Um, understanding herself, understanding what scripture says, um, coming to a place of understanding, you know, that she and her body, she is a body-soul unity Mm -hmm. and um, embracing those realities. So, like, she has done the work. She has earned the right to talk about these issues. Um, and that's where we're going to end. So we're still at the beginning where she is looking back and reflecting, um, on what was going on with, with young Mm -hmm. little Jen. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's just God has done, done so much work in me, and there's been so many people who poured into my life, right? And I've done a lot of counseling, Christian counseling, and just as your understanding of God grows, mm-hmm. you know, your understanding of yourself, I think, can be shaped so much more by that. So I think an element of what was going on as a kid is that my my mom working outside of the home, which I think would not have been her ideal. She, sure. she would have preferred, of course, I think, to stay at home with us yeah. and would have loved that. Just the dynamics of the jobs that they had and the education that they had and the things that they were doing meant that my mom was outside of the home primarily. And then the things my dad was struggling with is that he was in the home primarily and was a person that I did not feel connected to. Um, I would even say felt scared of, um, yeah, just disconnected from. And then the way I saw their marriage, there was lots of things in their marriage that weren't very healthy. So I think you just take what you see and you're like, men are like this, women are like this. If being a man means you're in complete control, you're strong, you get to do what you want. Being a woman means you have to do what you're you're told. You just have to deal with it. You have no autonomy. And which is not true. I can Mm -hmm. see my mom more for the hero she is. And I can see my dad more for how he was hurting as Mm -hmm. an adult. But as a kid, it's like black hat, white hat cowboys yeah you're the good person you're the bad person I want to identify with the person who is strong and can help sure be in control which would have been my dad I want to protect and be the one who cares for the one who I see as vulnerable or a victim mm-hmm. and so I think that was part of where and then lay on top of that I just had more interests that were stereotypically boy. Well, yeah I liked playing outside and I didn't love playing with Barbies I wore my brother's hand-me-downs I always played the boy when we were playing make-believe mm-hmm. or playing house. And so I think there's elements of that where it just got, it kind of was reinforcing itself. And your kid, your kid brain is seeing information and not a good interpreter of mm-hmm. information, right? So, um, yeah, so I think that's kind of where those things were developing. And then I'll say too, and I just thought about this the other day, these weren't really conversations people were having as much right. in the nineties and two thousands. Mm-hmm. So I know I was throwing a fit at seven or eight for having to wear a dress and particular shoes. Again, my family thought it was funny, but it was a feeling of just great discomfort. Like someone's going to know I don't belong hmm. in this kind of outfit like because of how, you know, so yeah. I just had, you this, had this sort of imposter thing going on. Yes. Like if I put them on, yes. Yes. And, but so, but my parents didn't necessarily know how to, how do you handle that? Is it just disobedience? Right. Is it just you are, it's a power struggle. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't articulate there was more behind it. And I don't think my parents necessarily knew the tools. Sure. Or how, everybody was, is in survival mode. Right. We're just trying to get through. And when you're an adult, you look back and see adults are dealing with, mm-hmm. they're trying to pay bills. They're trying to put food on the table. They're dealing with their marriage. They're dealing with their aging parents, Mm -hmm. your other siblings, and who knows what they're going through. Mm -hmm. I can see all that and have so much grace for my family, of course. But that's what I think that's what's swirling around in my preteen. I I think that a direction you might have been heading that I that I cut you off and rerouted was um, that you were talking a bit about how your mom some of this stems from a bit of a gender wound mm-hmm. in terms of needing more of your mother mm-hmm. than you got. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe as a child, you perceive that as why is she gone? Why is she, why now you look back and you go, Oh my gosh, someone had to pay the bills. Yeah, and right. she was the one that was willing to 
do hard things on behalf of the kids. But that meant that you were starved of the connection you wanted from her. Do you feel like that plays into this? For sure. Because I think any, well, I think there's so many reasons different attractions can form. And it would be a mistake to say, I think it was kind of an older way to look at it is that it was automatically a result of some kind of abuse. Sure. You know, I don't think necessarily that's the case. But I think it's just, I heard someone describe it as sort of, you have a masculine love cup that you need. Mm. You need masculine love and you need feminine love. And when either there's been some kind of wounding from, so let's say the masculine one is like very unhealthy or Mm -hmm. dangerous or abusive, Mm -hmm. then you might, it could go a few ways. You might really crave that. And maybe that's the girl that's like, I'm dating a bunch of boys and I'm just always looking for love from them. Or maybe you're turned off from it. Complete avoidance. Please get away from me. Mm -hmm. That's definitely where I was more scared Mm -hmm. and like, that's not what I want. But I'll assume some of those characteristics in my mind to say, I'm going to be a protector and strong. Yeah. And then, yeah, the cup from my mom was just not empty, but there was never, it never felt like enough. Mm -hmm. And she's working full time and doing what she can in the evening. Mm -hmm. Then we're doing laundry. Then we're doing cooking. Then we're trying to homeschool. I have two other siblings right? and she has her parents and she, we have stuff at church and Mm -hmm. different events and things and then marriage. And so there's just, it never felt like enough. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure I I was a kid that had a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to get abandoned somewhere or my parents are going to die. So I think I had a lot of like clinginess too, right? It's never enough. And I'm very clingy. And that can be really hard to to deal with if you're a parent where you're like, I've got so much going on. Even if you're a full-time parent that's home every day. Sure. You know, I mean, because I can say that as a mom, um, you know, some kids are more prone to that and some seasons are just more Mm -hmm. prone to that. And and even if you are a full-time, full attention mom in the home, um, sometimes you just feel like I don't even have enough for Mm -hmm. this kid, you know? Right. Yeah, so, so I know I was like wanting more clingy in that way for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, yeah, so I definitely think it's like the the masculine love was murky mm-hmm. and the feminine love was, it was like, I felt like never enough. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely like um, some, a gender wound, right? A disconnection between what you perceive womanhood to be and your own self-perception. Um, and then you certainly have a, a distorted, um, insufficient love from your dad and then just just hungering for more of your mom. So then take us into like puberty and what that looked like as you grew. Yeah, so um, I think it, it felt better over time because like things with my parents' jobs started to shift. My dad then like got laid off from one job and then worked a job that was more traditional 40 mm. hours a week. And then my mom worked from home two oh, days good. a week, which I loved. Right. She just always, she wasn't there in the sense like always able to talk to us, but just like presence. Right. That was, I loved that. That was like when we were early teenagers, mm-hmm. I think that shifted. And we had a lot of autonomy where we could take the bus and we started doing the running start schooling kind of program. So we had, we started making more friends and my life felt more full with things that more were within my control. Mm-hmm. I'm taking the bus and I'm going to school and here's my classes and mm-hmm. versus a feeling of like, I'm kind of in this house with uh, masculine love that's like murky or confusing to me or scary to me. And you just sort of feel trapped. Mm. Versus then get you get more autonomous over time. And the 
power dynamic even maybe starts to shift a little bit. So I didn't feel as helpless, afraid. Yeah. Maybe, maybe my dad just felt happier in some ways too. You know, maybe those, maybe we were more financially secure where some of those Mm -hmm. stresses and things that you don't even know are not about you at all, but that impact your parents. Maybe some of those things started to alleviate. So I just remember it started to feel better in that way. But because I didn't feel like I could talk about gender or attraction, it all those things continued. Mm-hmm. It would just switch from one person to the next. Mm. Whatever friend at the time might be the person that I'm like, that's my best friend. and I think about them all the time and I wish I could be with them. But you know it's dark and shameful in some mm. way. Not with even anybody ever saying anything about it. Because again, mm-hmm. it's not really talked about. It wasn't really talked about yeah. as much. What was your relationship with God like at the time? Like, was that a part of the equation or were you kind of operating off of more of like undercurrents of, of what had been communicated to you? No, I would say I've always faithfully believed God was real. The Bible is true. I would look up, you know, homosexuality in the back of the Bible mm. and I'd be like, and it's funny because I don't even remember how I knew that word or where wow. that came uh-huh. I don't remember that. And then I go look where the references are. Okay. I know it's obviously wrong. So I knew, I believed the Bible was true. I knew God was real. I, I believed he loved me. We had a thriving church experience with, like, we saw church discipline done in a good way where there was restoration. Um, we saw, um, it just felt like family. When my grandparents died, it felt like family mm. came around us. So I've always had a very positive picture of the church as God's family or mm-hmm. our family. I always believed it was true. I just carried, well, I feel these things. Mm-hmm. I know you're not supposed to act on it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I can tell anyone about it. Wow. Um, but I carried those all simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good. So then what did that look like as like a teen? You're getting more independence, more autonomy. Um, you're starting to develop very intense friendships with yeah. female friends. Um, did you ever like talk to them and say, I think this is bordering on the romantic? No. No, I never had a conversation with anyone who I would say was like the object of a crush or anything. Mm -hmm. I remember sharing at some sleepover when I was like 10 or 11, maybe, Mm -hmm. that I felt this way. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't reacted to in any sort of negative way at Mm -hmm. all. It was sort of a like, I don't know, truth or dare sharing stuff. It was just kind of like nothing really happened from it. I didn't feel any sense of relief. It wasn't Uh any... And nobody really sought to bear your burden and walk with you through no, it. Yeah. And you're like 10 years old. So, oh, sure. oh, you know, there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no, it didn't help anything. It was like, yeah. that was like the first time saying it out loud. And so, yeah, nothing really ever transpired with it. It just was sort of dormant, but always this yeah. thing of guilt. And, but I would say gender wise, it, um, things just continue to, get better in the sense of it just becomes undeniable. Yeah. I'm a woman. Right. Especially it was interesting. I worked for a landscaping company for a summer where I was like one of the only women. Yeah. And it actually felt so clear that I'm a woman wow. being surrounded by men, which I, I never intentionally surround would surround myself. With what men. was it that you saw in that um, environment that made you go, Oh, I am not like that. Well, I think parts of it was like, it's, it's objectively true that most of them were stronger Mm. than me. There were two guys close in age to me who showed some sort of romantic interest that I found appealing, Uh though it felt a little more like it was a competition between them more than genuine. (laughs) Who's going to get her? (laughs) Yeah. So that was a weird, but that was sort of my first time where it's like, I sort of had some mutual interest with a 
boy. Mm-hmm. And I was like 18. Mm-hmm. And so it just, I did feel different from the majority of the people around me. Also, this wasn't a Christian setting. Most of them were like quite, would speak quite dirty, dirty, yeah. dirty jokes, make me feel uncomfortable uh-huh. where it's just like in a Christian context, right. surrounded by women. Right. You don't ever feel, yeah. I never felt uncomfortable. I'm like, wow, you are kind of like gross and I don't really want to be right. around you. So there are some negative things in that way too, but. So, um, you're, as you grow, you're feeling a little more connected to your body, a little more, um, confident that you are female and it's okay to be female, Mm -hmm. but you're still feeling a little out of place. You definitely are experiencing the same sex attraction. So like move into like the early, like twenties, like what's happening then? Well, and so my parents get divorced when I was 18. Okay. Wow. we've, We've chatted about this too, where even though my parents had a difficult marriage, especially with reading the book and you hear the stories, you still see looking back how much you were protected from. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about this and I was very encouraged when I just think back of my life, my life, I was like, wow, my mom, the sacrifice and the, her being a hero and doing that hard thing was she was always coming home. Yeah. It, it's easy, not easy, but there's adults where it's like, this is too hard. It would have brought her incredible relief. Yes. I was like, I'm done. Yes. The marriage is too difficult. Right. Maybe I make more money and that's right. going to be fine. And maybe I'll figure out the kids later or I'll take one or two of them or whatever. Or I'll look at my parents. There could have been so many different ways. Or maybe she just says, I'm not coming back because I don't want to deal with it. I remember thinking that like, wow, my mom always came home. Yeah. And I had a lot of anxiety. Like she's not going to come home. Sure. But she always did come home. Mm-hmm. So I was very thankful for that, thinking about it in hindsight. So, so they get divorced and. Um, How did your life change after they divorced? Did it change? Because you're kind of out on your own. Yeah, we were, You've had some well, independence. I wasn't out on my own yet, but I was, okay. I was within six months of sure. being on my own. And it changed in terms of that power dynamic with my dad, where I felt sort of afraid of him. Maybe even respect, though it wasn't like a good, true respect. Mm-hmm. A fearful. Was gone, kind of. In a sense. Yeah. Because then it sort of felt like, well, you did something wrong and you're not doing the right thing. Now I'm withdrawing my... Hmm. I do remember from the Christian perspective, though, I remember the night they told us, so my dad was choosing to do something different and to leave. And I remember feeling a sense of, I need to go tell him I still loved him. Hmm. And I've had a very difficult relationship with him where I would even say in my head and heart, I hate you. Oh. I would never say that to him. Sure. But I remember feeling that. I do. I did go and tell him that. I didn't say like, I forgive you, but I said, I still love you. And I do think that was God helping a softness state in my heart toward my dad Mm -hmm. that I think now I would say I can definitely see what God's done in my dad's life. My dad is a Christian. Mm -hmm. My mom has remarried and I'm thankful for her and her husband's marriage. And there's a lot of positive things there. Yeah. And, and I think we have a good relationship where my mom has always been willing to, we do birthdays together. We've done Thanksgiving together. We've done Easter together where my dad is invited into their Mm -hmm. home and everybody has always gotten along and that's a huge sacrifice, right? For the person who feels wronged. Or... Yes. So I'm so thankful. They they were always the adults making it work mm-hmm. in that case, even though we were almost adults sure. as kids. Okay. But it definitely still, it's like, you know, your holidays get split up mm-hmm. and you're figuring out which quadrant of which part of Christmas Eve is with your step family. Okay. But one of our parents sometimes was always alone right. because of my stepdad working. So it's like, well, mom's going to be alone for Christmas Eve. Or dad's going to be alone for Christmas Eve. Wow. And so that's, it's just like the natural consequence of mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So, so what happened in your life 
after their divorce. So the time with them starts getting split up, but I move out in with a, like a house of Christian women. I start kind of living it up in, not in a like going partying way, but just in a, I'm on my own and yeah. I'm enjoying my own life kind of way. And I kind of just didn't pay attention too much to things that were then going on at home, transferred to another college. The same pattern of, I have these crushes and all these things I can't talk about continued, but school offered free counseling. Oh. And it was, what's crazy is it's like some master's student, which I didn't know at huh. the time. It's like yeah. someone who's like two years older than me, right. <laughs> yeah. is my counselor. And after my first one where I share, so I, that was the first time I was like, everything. Wow. It does, is know. that the first person you've ever really said everything to? Probably. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so after the first session, the next time, the next session that started, she said, Hey, can I bring in a video camera and record the sessions from here on out? And, and it's like, these will be used to evaluate her counseling, uh-huh. basically. She's a student. Were you okay with that? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, it's fine. But I totally, my mind was like, oh, it's because I'm an interesting case. <laughs> it's because, because for someone to say, hey, I have these attractions or I struggle with these gender things, I have no interest in identifying as gay. Yeah. I've never appealed, like the rainbow stuff's never appealed to me. Yeah. Because I could never shake. It's like, I think the Bible's true. Yeah. I just can't get around it. Yeah. And so I didn't buy the stuff where people were trying to say, it was mistranslated. And yeah. I was like, I don't buy it. Right. So I think that was interesting to them at some level, or maybe they just wanted to make sure she was doing a good job and not botching it so up or something. Did yeah. she offer you effective counsel? I think so. I mean, really, I think good counseling is more figuring out what you want and they are trying to say, let's talk, talk through and get you to where, what you want. Mm-hmm. So because I wanted to be a person who's like, I identified as a Christian and I want to work through and talk about where this come from, how do I navigate it? It did help me start connecting these dots. Okay, mm-hmm. it would make sense that a person who experiences this, this, this might feel these attractions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is the, does it, is the question, will you feel something, just do it? Or is the question, why do you feel it? And is it healthy or not? Mm-hmm. And and then did they help, did she help you put your finger on a few things that where you could say, okay, I need to focus on healing in this area? Yes. So I think that's where, when I talk about my, the wounds from dad yeah. and mom, that's probably where that's, those things started to be okay. unpacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and I've gone to counseling off and on through, and then have shared with other people that are more like pastoral or mentors mm-hmm. to me over time. Mm-hmm. And so I've received good accountability or just people checking in, or especially when people would share whether they struggle with the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just to say, like someone, more of the mentor person would say, oh, when I go serve at a camp or whatever, I I struggle with always finding a person to attach to. Oh, yeah. But it would be a male. Right. So she's married, but saying, that's a struggle for me. Right. Because it's a similar thing. It's like, well, I want a person because mm-hmm. I feel lonely or I mm-hmm. feel disconnected maybe from my husband at home. So I struggle with finding that person. It's like, I'm doing the same thing but I'm kind of turning a friendship into too much. So, so as, it made me feel like you're not this crazy person. Right. No one else has ever felt like you in the whole, you know. World. So as you risked and opened up and really let people look into this part of your life that was so tender, um, what you found, I, well, I do want to ask you, like, was that ever we- weaponized against you? Did it ever go poorly? But it sounds like for the majority of the people that you disclosed this to, they were able to also let you see into their life mm-hmm. yep. so that you could go, oh, okay, so our, we don't have identical struggles. Right. But I guess this picture that I had of 
wholeness, upright, you know, holy living. Hey, because that's a person that I consider upright, God honoring. And they fall into some similar tendencies as well. So maybe there's hope for me kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So have you ever disclosed it to somebody, a Christian or a counselor, and it went poorly? Never a counselor. Occasionally someone where the reaction would be more like, I don't think that's that big of a deal. I don't really think Ah, that's a problem. So more dismissive. Yes. And and definitely people more on the ideological left or more progressive. Okay. This was even 10 plus years ago. Like, why do you even have a problem? Yeah. It's kind of like, why do you feel ashamed about that? Like, just kind of, and it's like, yeah, well, you're born that way. So what's the matter? It's like, well, I don't buy that either, actually. Hmm. So it was never weaponized against me, but definitely that would be a person that's like, well, it's not the safe person to talk to anymore. Because I don't need to be reinforced along some progressive ideology kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I'm being reinforced with what is true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I'm very thankful. God always protected me and and nothing negative ever came from it in that way. So we'll get to kind of like your connection to them before us, what yeah. you're doing, your passions in that area, why you came to um, choose to give me so much of your life, yeah. which I love. <laughs> um, but I would love for you to speak to anybody who's listening, who experienced the same sex attraction, who's got some kind of gender identity, confusion, or issues, if you could say, you know, maybe top three things that you think have brought you to a place of acceptance, health, Mm -hmm. joy, purpose, like what are the three things that you're like, these are the things that you really need to focus on. Um, Here's the advice that I have Mm -hmm. for you. Like, what would you say? Make sure you head over to thembeforeus.com to find us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, donate, and more. Thanks for joining the movement. Okay, so three things off the top of the dome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, one I would say is cling to reality. The reason that some of these gender issues statistically will resolve for most people or start to resolve with puberty is because your body, it just becomes undeniable. Because when you're a kid, really, you're like, there's not a lot of physical markers, change the hair, change the clothes. Sometimes they're indistinguishable, a little harder in adulthood. Sure. And in puberty, it's just like you, you look in the mirror and you're like, okay, I am a woman, but that is helpful. You can still struggle with whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. Or why did God do this to me? Mm -hmm. Or it would be easier to be something else maybe. And you can think that, but that was very helpful is so let nature take its course. And that's why I'm so thankful. I was grew up in the era I did. Right. And even though my parents didn't have the tools, thankfully they weren't doing anything to hinder my puberty or growth in that way. Right. So reality. Well, so let me just, let's just take that to the next step, right? You are a beautiful, incredible, sensitive and strong woman. Mm -hmm. And if you were growing up today in the public schools, especially in Seattle, I mean, they would have transed you so early and so fast, right? right? You could be sterilized. Yeah. Like never be able to have children, never be able to breastfeed. Right. Nuts. Trying to get off hormones, like all these. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I'm so thankful for when I grew up. And, And then I would say, especially from the Christian perspective, confession, but not even in the sense, of course, there's things within how I was thinking about people that were lustful or sinful, but even just to say, 
if it's a youth pastor, if it's a pastor, if it's your parents to say to someone, I feel this way, I'm struggling with this. That is huge. The more I did that, it felt like cracks almost with light being able to shine Mm. into dark places. I've heard someone say the phrase, you should be able to tell everyone or it's, it's don't have anything that you don't tell someone. Okay, right? you've heard me say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what I've said yes, is... Yes, the, actual <laughs> the actual quote is, you don't have to tell everyone everything, uh-huh. but you need to tell somebody everything, right? right. Because, don't have any dark... Yeah. I've never told anyone this. Yeah. And that's a that would be a place where someone would be able to prey on you. Or yes. It makes you, you or, so vulnerable. Right. And those thoughts that you can't tell anyone, they control you. Yeah. yeah. And what's crazy is when I started sharing the thoughts, that's what, like we were saying... You have someone else tell you, oh, I felt something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Or there would be, I had a female peer. She was married and had two kids and she was awesome. Her son had come to her one day and said, I think I'm gay. And she was like, why? And he's like, cause I like horses. And she was <laughs> like, okay, you're not gay. You can like horses and be a boy. And it was just that matter of fact. Yeah. And when I shared some things with her as an adult and I was much further along, she was like, oh, I've totally been attracted to women before. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it felt like you're a normal person. So yeah. our attractions or the way we might lean naturally is not necessarily the sin. It's that there's some things that maybe are not healthy and you can talk about that and work through it spiritually with a spiritual leader, with a mentor, with a counselor and, and get the help in that way. So that's two things. Well, and I'll just jump in and say, right. The confession is not confession. I agree. Like what you're saying, the just like, you know, the word I use is intimacy, mm-hmm. right? And it's really into me, see. Mm-hmm. You're letting people see into me, see into you. And like you said, it kind of brings the light um, and all of that, which is so, so helpful. But what you learn, I think, if you're gender confused or you have same-sex attraction and you confess it to another honest, mature Christian mm-hmm. who's trustworthy, what you learn is you are not special. Right. Right. Like, like wait a second. You are not special. Like, we all have these, you know, not even sinful sometimes, just deficits mm-hmm. sometimes, right. you know, that will lead us to certain behaviors. Sometimes it's sinful. Sometimes it's just shortcomings that we are learning to fill with gospel centric action. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it draws, I mean, it really does build community, even if it's not with a bunch of other people who also experience same sex attraction. Right. And that could actually be bad in its own way. It's like, don't sure. necessarily get everybody in that group that all struggles with same sex attraction. It's right. like, that could be a a mess in a different way sure. sort of thing. So good. Give me number three. Oh, what is the, th- what is the third one? I, I, well, so yeah, as a Christian, Oh, this, yeah. So this we did. So let the Bible, the whole Bible is for women and the whole Bible is for men. Mm. And then there's specifics in there for mm-hmm, women and for mm-hmm. men. Those are the things I would say are non-negotiable. Mm. But when it comes to what does it mean to be a woman in the United States in 2023, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I have to like makeup and fingernail polish right. and wearing a dress. And, and I've grown in my ability to wear a dress with the mindset dressing up or how I dress can show respect and honor for an event mm-hmm. or for a person. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to wear dresses to weddings mm-hmm. in, in recent years. I don't feel super comfortable, but it feels like that's a way I can show honor. And I usually go into a store and pray, God, can you help me find one that will, that I'll feel comfortable in yeah. or whatever. So that's a way I feel like I've grown a little bit, but I had a, I had a professor at, in college who was very feminine, wore high heels. And then I realized she's a, she was a military veteran. Hmm. And I liked the idea that you could see women that had a bunch of different interests, some that like dresses, some that looked very girly, 
some men didn't, and it didn't mean you weren't a woman. Sure. So I started to realize I'm a woman regardless of colors I like, yeah. interests I have, and how I like to dress. There are still some things that are non-negotiable. I don't think it's good to um, necessarily like shave my head and mm -hmm. I'm going to pretend I have a beard or dress like a man and pretend to be a man. That would not be good. Mm -hmm. But is that, you know, is it okay for me to wear jeans and a t-shirt most of the time, which I do. <laughs> Dear God, please let it yeah. be okay. <laughs> It's like, that's not the thing that makes me a woman or right. not. Right, your that, interests. And yeah, your... that understanding was very freeing. Yeah. And meeting, and when you meet lots of different women, you start to see there is a spectrum of womanhood that's not sinful. Right. Some things are cultural, mm -hmm. and some things are true across all cultures. Mm -hmm. And like we talk in the book, right, the, the gender differences, I can see that I don't have any children, but when I'm with I tend to be more the person that plays with or mm -hmm. enjoys video games mm -hmm. or maybe um, does more stereotypically boy things. But I still have a sense of, oh, be careful when you do yeah. that. Or a more affectionate maybe in mm -hmm. some way than we just rub some dirt in it. And so I still And super see, emotionally in tune. Yes. And super concerned about everybody being taken care of and fair and, and it's along, okay. Right? And like yep. you are so maternal. I look at you and I'm like, I mean, think about your previous jobs. Like, I don't, you know, you've had jobs where you have cared for incredibly vulnerable people right. yeah. and it's so natural to you. It comes so naturally to you. And not that men don't care for, sure. yeah. but you are a fun, you are maternal mm -hmm. in a very, very fun sense, right. I think. Thank you. Yeah. And so I think you start to see, I am a woman. God has given me these gifts. It's okay if I wear it. Jeans and t-shirts. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you don't, have, you don't have to wear makeup to be a woman. Right. Good. Go. Okay, so um, we'll bring this home, but oh my gosh, I, we, I'm i like, can we just do this every time? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, can talk about me every I, time. Oh, I literally want to. Um, why them before us? Why are you here? Why do you feel like this is what you want to give all your time to? I'm happy to say Jen was our very first full-time hire, like yes. before I was even a full-time hire officially. And it was like the best hire we've ever made. I know. I'm so <laughs> so yeah. why this? And I'm so thankful my previous nonprofit experience translated over. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot of these skills I learned. So that was very, was providing for mm -hmm. us. So yeah, I believe in the message um, that, when we put the rights of children first, it changes how we think about things. Mm -hmm. I remember making an offhand comment in college. Oh, maybe I'll just freeze my eggs or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my peers at the time was like, what? You can't do that. But she didn't explain. She didn't give a perspective. She knew at some level it was wrong. Yeah. But I'd never thought of it before. It mm -hmm. just was like, well, isn't that what people do? You don't know when you're going to have kids. Mm -hmm. But I guess, too, when you think in your mind, well... I don't know if I'm going to get married. I mean, I don't now, right now. I don't know if I'm going to get married or have children. I know you're going to get married <laughs> and have children. <laughs> I'm already working on it. <laughs> so you don't know. And there's a temptation to say, well, the time is running out and I have to yeah. take it into my own hands. So I understand that impulse. And, and people who struggle with infertility, it's interesting. Well, according to California's definition sure. now, I am infertile. You are infertile. Because by myself, I cannot asexually reproduce. I'm infertile. <laughs> so so you, you, I can understand the that part. It's like, why shouldn't I get people who look like me and are biologically connected to me? But because we look at it from the perspective of children, and we think, and you think back to your parents that do hard things, 
you start to realize like I'm mature and I'm an adult now and I have to do what's right to protect children. And I love, I've always wanted to be a part of something that feels like bigger mm-hmm. than me. Like I want my life to matter in some way. And of course, if you're a Christian, you believe that your life will, whether anyone knows your name or hears your story or not, we know that our lives will matter and God will use us in some way. But it's, it, you don't, I don't want to say no to something when it's like, you talk about wanting us to like take over the world and we've seen all this impact we've had. It's like, I want to be a part, even if that means just I'm answering emails, like I'm doing <laughs> website edits, you know, for now, I just want to be a part of it. And I think it's powerful. Like your story is powerful and God is using my story and what he's done in my life that can help encourage people that we have to do what's right. Even if it's hard, adults have to do hard things. And so that's why I want to be a part of it. You know what I love is you have been doing our social media for I don't know as as well, long. Even before, like, I know. I literally was for like, free. "Hi, can you do this for free forever yeah, yeah. for me?" Um, and so Jen has been like running all of our accounts and social media. And so a lot of times, if you're interacting on our pages, you're interacting with Jen. And what I love is you got every now and then you'll get swarmed by like <laughs> LGBT activists and things like that, and they'll be like, "You're anti-gay. You don't understand. You know, well, you just hate gay people. You don't like people that are struggling with gender dysphoria and transgender." Yeah. And I mean, like they don't know that that's who they're talking to, but like, what would you say to the people who are like, well, this organization is anti LGBT. Like, what would you say to that? Yeah. It's the same thing we'd say. If you're like, you're anti people who are infertile, infertile, or you're anti people who adopt or single parents. It's like, we are not anti any of that. Any of you, if you get on board that children's rights matter more than what you want, we are on your side too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's all—it's just laughable. Someone was, someone did in a comment say, "You don't know about being infertile, blah blah blah." And it's just funny because it's like I haven't struggled with infertility in the sense of I'm with a husband. And it's like we've been unable to get pregnant, but they just don't know yeah. who you're talking to. Right. You know? So it's one of those things. The other side tends to use um, anecdotes a lot of like my lived experience is the reason you cannot argue with me. Mm-hmm. And we're not saying our lived experience is the reason you can't argue with us. We're saying natural law is the reason you can't argue with us. Right. But I can use your language if you want me to and say, well, no, I have this lived experience. Right. You're still wrong. Yeah. You still have to do what's right what's yeah. right, and what's hard. So That's the crazy thing about arguing on our page because there's a lot of people that are on our page who have shared their stories on our website mm-hmm. anonymously on my recommendation, yeah. right? You know, I know who they are. I usually know them in real life. And I'm like, I want you to share your story. I also don't want this to wreck all your relationships. Mm. Please do this under a pseudonym. And so some of them will argue or get back and forth. And, and you know, the, the trolls or the naysayers will say, well, you don't know what, you know, you would love to have two gay parents or it's okay. Our kids love it. And they are literally talking to the people with two gay parents. <laughs> the article they're applying to. Yeah, the like, person. that's the person they're, that are like, no, I suffered immensely. Mm because of, you know, the rotation of men in and out of my mother's life, or, you know, because I had that mother hunger because I had two dads, or I had the father hunger because I had two moms, or, or I have the, you know, right. the biological identity issues because I, I literally was purchased from a catalog. And they, it's like, you come to our page and you don't get to use the lived experience, mm-hmm. you know, card on us because like, that is who we are. Then before us is this coalition, this yeah. coalition of right. like, 
fringies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. So, okay. Well, what do you, let's just wrap up. Yeah. Tell me what your hope for this podcast is, because this is really your project. Um, you know, this is, thank God, I'm so, so grateful that we, um, one of the, our big priorities for next year is more content production, and this is going to be Jen's domain. So what is your hope for this podcast? And and don't be realistic. Yeah. Let's like oh, shoot for the so skies. Awesome. You know, like if you could have this podcast accomplish something, what would it accomplish? It would be amazing to have it be the go-to resource for someone because a podcast feels so accessible. Mm -hmm. It's like you and I talk about listening to it when you're doing your dishes or mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're a high powered, you work in an office, you're a partner at a law firm or you're a stay at home mom raising kids. This information could be accessible mm -hmm. to people and to have resources. I would love that. I would love it if it was a place where people would come and when they hear us talk or maybe we interview an expert, they come away with the episode from the episode thinking that's how I'm going to talk about it. Now I know an answer. If someone asks me this hard question that I've been asked before, but I didn't know what to say. And if they hear, if we interview experts and we talk about our book chapters, it'll just be these bite-sized things and facts that we just keep drilling down into people. So it just becomes second nature. Cause mm -hmm. I think for you, the answers are second nature, you know, cause you talked about, you love Q and a mm -hmm. no, and people think they're going to ask you something you haven't thought through. And so mm -hmm. like, it just doesn't happen. But there's so many people I think that feel nervous. I don't know what I'm going to say if my friend at church tells me they want to use a surrogate. And what if our podcast was like, no, I listened to a 15-minute episode on surrogacy or something, and now I know exactly what to say mm -hmm. to that person at church. So, yeah, global takeover aside, but I just think resource, like that people will know what to say, how to answer it, how to answer questions, how to advocate for children's rights because we talk for 30 minutes on a podcast. That would be cool. Good. Well, that is Jen Friesen, um, our director of operations. And that is the woman that you're going to be hearing from, um, talking to, um, sending questions over to um, as this podcast grows and takes off. Um, and I am very grateful, um, very grateful that she has always been such a faithful wing woman and now is going to have her own platform and I uh, cannot wait to see where this goes. So thanks for, uh, thanks for giving us some into me see today. Thank you for asking and listening. <laughs>